Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I just think it's the entitlement. It's not rocket science. It can be done. I truly believe it can. It's wanton destruction. It's also illegal. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Oh, I just love having good news for you on a Friday morning. Did you know, would you believe me if I told you that our COVID numbers in Cork this morning, the 16th of April, 2021, are better than they were a year ago? Our COVID numbers are better today, considerably better today. In fact, in or around half of what they were a year ago. Today, I notice where the uh, acting chief medical officer, Dr. Glynn, has started doing what I've been doing here on this show for six months now, comparing numbers from back along and back along and back along to show us just how well we're doing, or maybe sometimes just how badly we're doing. But at the moment, showing us just how well we're doing. Dr. Glynn was in good form last night at, at the conference. You've heard the headline figures in the news but he was very very happy with them these numbers are are better than anything we could have hoped for a few weeks ago so i mean it's it's fantastic that we are where we are of course i'll give all the caveats and say it's still a high level of disease it can still turn quickly we need to watch where we go over the next couple of weeks given that schools have just opened and and there's a lot more mobility this week but we're in a much better position uh than, than we thought we would be and that is down first and foremost, to people listening to the messages and sticking with this. Uh, And I think that's a really, really important message that gets out tonight, is that what people have done and what people continue to do is making a massive difference. Yeah, the five-day moving average now for the country is 358, which is well down on where it was a couple of weeks ago. The new cases in the last 14 days per 100,000 for the country is 122.6 for the whole country which is great Cork is at in or around uh, half, less than half of that in fact well less than half of that so we're in a good place and then Dr Glynn 
did, as I said, something that we've been doing on this program here for months on end now. He, he gave us some comparisons to put into context. So you have to go back to early July last year uh, to a point at which we were reporting no new nursing home outbreaks for the period that we've been reporting them today. You've got to go back to the, the end of August uh, to a time when we reported just 54 cases in healthcare workers in a week. Back again to the end of August to when we had uh, just uh, 12 cases in people aged 80 years or older. Um, we have 184 people in hospital this morning. The last time we saw that was prior uh, to, the, to the wave of disease that we experienced in October and November. We are getting there, lads. We are really are getting there. Let's look at Cork, which we've been doing at least once a week and sometimes twice a week for the last six to eight months on the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. So yesterday we had 12 new cases reported in Cork. 12, that's very low, very, very low. Uh, now, we'd like to be below 10, and I think we will get there very soon because our five-day moving average in Cork now is 11. 11. That is really low. We're almost there. Over the last 14 days, there have been 269 cases in Cork. That's up to yesterday evening when these numbers were announced. That's 49.6. That's 50 per 100,000. 50 uh, in five million, five hundred thousand of us. So that's uh, that's brilliant. That's really, really brilliant. Let's go back a month on those numbers. And the sixteenth of March, our two-week figure was one hundred and fifty-nine per hundred thousand. So a third of where we are now. Do you really want to know how well we've done? Go back to January, to the sixteenth of January, when. There was such a huge outbreak. I was, at that stage, broadcasting from Studio 1.5. I was at home and the lads were here and we were doing everything in our power to make sure that we stayed safe. In January, on the 16th of January, our 14-day figure for Cork was 9,590. 9,590 in 14 days. It is now 50. In four, in fourteen, uh, it is now, yeah, two hundred and sixty-nine. Our per hundred k figure on the sixteenth of January was one thousand five hundred and eighteen. So we have come crashing down from a hundred and from fifteen hundred to fifty in two months. I'll do better. I'll go back to this time last year because remember the hub was up and running this time last year and we were beginning to learn how cases were filled into that hub. So if I go back to the 16th of August 2020, a year ago, and remember, or sorry, April, 16th of April 2020, and remember, we were at that stage thinking about coming out of the first lockdown. So the first lockdown, they began to ease in or around the start to the middle of May. So we were right in the heart of the first lockdown this time last year, the 16th of April. Our 14-day figure for Cork was 671. Per 100,000, 132. So, we had 100,000, 132 cases per 100,000 this day last year. We now have 50. So we are in a very good place in Cork. Very 
very positive. I mean, when Ronan Glynn and the team up there are positive, it's a good day. We've come a huge distance and we do have a way to go. We've got to stick with it. But it is very important that people hear and understand that their efforts have made an enormous difference to where we've come with this. And we have avoided very significant morbidity, very significant mortality uh, because of people's efforts. Yeah, 131.7 is the 14-day numbers nationally at the moment. 131.7 per 100,000. So we're at a third of that at 49.6. Now, Cork City South Central uh, is above the national average. So we're not out of the woods yet. Cork City South Central. So that's maybe, what, Douglas, that general area? Um, Cork City South Central, of course, does that stretch out now as far as Carrigaline, that general area? Yeah, uh, that's got 134.5. So that's one of the worst performing areas of Cork at the moment. Well, we're getting there. We're getting there. We really are. I'm, I'm very happy with those numbers this morning. And I think people who've been listening to this program for the last few months have heard me doom, gloomy and have heard me downbeat of a Friday morning looking at the numbers. But we are so good. So, so good uh, this morning. 1850-715-996. You will remember that before I went on my Easter break, I caught up with Dr. John Campbell. And to remind you again of who... Dr. John Campbell is. He is a retired nurse teacher, a retired A&E nurse and psychiatric nurse who for about a year now has been putting together videos on YouTube to help people get through the pandemic, looking at every element of it with his medical knowledge, his ability to analyse data and most importantly, his ability as a teacher to bring it to us in simple plain man's English. He's had millions of views of his videos and uh, thanks to a good bit of legwork uh, behind the scenes, we managed to get him on the show a couple of weeks ago and now John is in contact with us quite regularly. We watch his videos every day and he was very impressed with the report that came out of the Oireachtas on vitamin D. But I was looking for another opportunity to catch up with Dr. John about that and about where are we going with all these vaccine stuff because it's confusing. And it's a little bit scary for people. So I've been talking once again with uh, Dr. John Campbell. I notice your YouTube channel now has over 931,000 subscribers. So good to have you back with us. And you, you particularly wanted to speak, before we get into vaccines and stuff, about the vitamin D report from the Oireachtas. You were very impressed with it. Yeah, well, this comes from the Joint Committee on Health. And basically, as far as I know, this is the only official government body that's looked into this. There, there was some work done on it in Finland. But apart from that, the Irish government here seems to be really quite proactive. They've, they've kept an open mind. They've looked at the data. They've taken the data from scientists. They've taken data from uh, Irish scientists, from overseas scientists. They've put it together. They've, they've computed it through their minds and through the minds of experts. And, and to to my mind, they've derived that which is most likely to be true. I, I think they're actually getting onto something here. And combined with that, PJ, I mean, is it sunny in Ireland today? 
Well, it's sunny but cold, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you were brave, you could get your shirt off for 10 minutes in the sun. I mean, basically from September to April, we don't really get any serious sun exposure. And bear in mind that 90% of the vitamin D that we have in our bodies comes from the sun. Only about 10% is coming from food. And actually, this report mentions that in Ireland, for example, as, as, as in England here, we eat quite a lot of farmed salmon. But this actually doesn't contain the same amount of natural fats and vitamin D that natural salmon does. Yeah. So e- even food that you think is really healthy is actually not as healthy as you like. Now, you can get all the vitamins you need from your diet apart from vitamin D. This one's the big exception. Yeah. And you know what really convinced me about this was when, when people first started moving north into our cold climates, the original humans were almost certainly dark-coloured skins. Yeah. And that means they would make vitamin D about 20 times slower than, than we would as, as white people at the moment. So, so the evolutionary pressure to change from dark colored skins to white skins is to make vitamin D. And it turns out there's vitamin D receptors in virtually, I, I think, in every cell in the body, certainly in all the cells of the immune system. And that means that the immune system is relying on vitamin D in many different ways that we don't fully understand because we don't fully understand the immune system. It's the most amazing system. But lack of vitamin D is associated with things like autoimmune diseases like diabetes mellitus type 1, the insulin dependent diabetes, possibly multiple sclerosis quite a few cancers so it's associated with colon cancer for example lack of vitamin d is associated with colon cancer prostate cancer heart disease and strokes mm. and and um, all these immunological things which of course have come to the front with covid yeah and the other thing the other thing i really liked about this joint committee report pj was they talked about covid and non covid implications so they're saying this is important for irish which stands for European public health altogether, really, in terms of non-COVID diseases, the ones we mentioned there, and in terms of COVID as well. So COVID has kind of brought it to the fore. And this could be one of the good things that comes out of this pandemic, that people are realising that these public health measures are there, they're cheap to implement, and they can have potentially quite huge import on, on the health of millions of people. Like you walk into pretty much any pharmacy, health store, mm. supermarket, and there's yeah. vitamin D on the shelf, cheapest chips. And yeah. once you know the amount that's in the tablet, yeah. just they're saying, take it every day. You, you can't really yeah. take too much of it. Well, you can, but you've, you'd have to try pretty hard. You'd have to take an awful lot. Mm. I mean, I mean the, the, the report at the moment is recommending about a thousand international units a day, but all year round. Mm. It's a bit confusing because sometimes it's measured in international units and sometimes it's measure, uh, measured in micrograms. Mm. So 1,000 international units is 25 micrograms. Mm. So for me at the moment, personally, this is not a recommendation, this is what I'm doing personally. Throughout winter, uh, for the last few months, I've been taking 4,000 units a day, which is 100 micrograms a day. Mm. And I think that's made a difference to my immune system. I had a bit of bronchitis this week, but hey-ho, that's the first thing for 18 months. Yeah. So does seem to be making a difference. And the other big one about this that the Irish report recommends particularly 
particularly. It points out the fact that there's depression, especially in people over the age of 50, is really common. And of course, we've noticed for a long time that people can be more depressed in winter, this sad, this seasonal mm. affective disorder. And I don't know, it might just be me, it might just be placebo, but since I've been taking vitamin D this winter, I'm pretty sure my mood has been better. Because, you know, I can become pretty mopey over winter and uh, yeah. I do feel a bit better this. And, and the, the links there are good. The, the Irish ageing study is very good on this. I've collected a lot of data throughout Ireland showing that people with low levels of vitamin D are more likely to be, to be depressed in winter, but all, all year round as well. Mm, there's a lot in that report. Encourage people to read it for themselves. It's accessible language. It's transparent. It's not in medical jargonese. You know, if people have got the link for that, then um, you can probably give them the link yeah. for that. Then they can download it, print it out, read it for themselves. Completely accessible. Very impressive piece of work. Let's move on, John, to the, the news of the week in terms of vaccines. We, we now have Johnson & Johnson paused effectively, and they're still trying to figure out here exactly want to do with AstraZeneca. Now, you've been looking at data, you've been looking at, at the cause of these clots, but let me start by asking with regard to Johnson & Johnson. In the States, they paused it after something like seven cases or six mm. cases in seven million doses. Is that an overreaction or is it what we actually have yeah. to do? There's just such a there's just so much publicity around these vaccines at the moment and it's so important that we get it right i think authorities are like bending over backwards to make sure that they're dotting every i and crossing every t so there were six cases in the states from 6.8 million cases that had followed up in other words one case per 1.2 million people um, now all drugs are dangerous people are always saying to me is this safe well the answer is no of course it's not safe no no drug is safe ibuprofen is not safe people have allergic reactions to it sometimes mm. paracetamol is not safe people develop liver failure with it if they drink alcohol with it antibiotics aren't safe but what they what the reason we use these drugs is they they have an acceptable level of risk Mm. So if, if you go for a clinical procedure, so su suppose there's a, one chance in 500 that you or I are, are going to die from COVID-19 and you go, you go for a vaccine and, you, and the doctor says, well, there's a one chance in 500 you're going to die from COVID-19. There's one chance in 1.2 million you're going to have a serious side effect from this vaccine. Well, I know which I'd pick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's, there's always there's always this balance of risk. Nothing is ever completely safe. You know, if you go to the shops, it's not completely safe. Mm. We have to, I think, we have to accept an element of risk, and we've perhaps gone, gone, gone too far, really, down this road of being being over cautious. Yeah. Now, using your nursing background, you've mm. been taking a look at the data on the clots yes. and how it happens, mm. and you've noticed something, John, and it's important. Please bring it to us, if you can, in simple, plain layman's English. Sure. sure. Well, in 2006, there was some work on these adenovirus vectors. So, for example, you probably know that this Johnson & Johnson Janssen vaccine, the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, and interestingly, the Sputnik uh, V, the Sputnik vaccine, all work on what we call adenovirus vectors. So, basically, they're taking the gene to make the spike protein of this virus, putting it in this adenovirus and smuggling it into the cells in your arm. And the whole point of that is it goes into a muscle. 
So you stick the needle in and you inject into the muscle. This adenovirus goes into the muscle. It goes into the cells of the muscle. And that's what generates the immune response. But what we're always taught as nurses is when you inject, when you put a needle in, you should always draw back a little bit. Mm. Blood comes back into that needle. That means you're in a blood vessel. You mentioned this to me the last time, yeah. Yeah, th th then you would take it out and, and try again. Now, it very rarely happens. I've just, when, when I started looking at this, I started thinking back through 40 years of experience. And I think that's only happened to me maybe once in 40 years. But suppose that means that's once in, say, 10,000 injections, that it goes into a vein instead of going into a muscle. Mm. Now, this data from 2006 showed that if you give adenovirus vectors intravenously, into a blood vessel in mice, not done in humans, because that would be unethical, obviously. So in mice, if you give these intravenous adenoviruses, they will stimulate the platelets to start clotting. That, and that will trigger blood clots. Now, that, that happens if you give it intravenously. Mm. So the current protocols for giving these vaccines are from the World Health Organization. And I don't know about the Irish protocol, PJ, but I suspect it's the same. And in, in the UK, the protocol is that you stick the needle in and you don't aspirate. You just inject straight away, kind of hoping for the best that you're in a muscle. Now, now 999 times out of a thousand, you will be. Mm. But suppose just one in 10,000 times you're not, and that happens to coincide with another risk factor, which may, for example, be um, premenopausal women, which may, for example, be uh, oral contraception. Th these things aren't clear. The reason I'm using those examples is these cerebral sinus venous thromboses. Clots in the brain, yeah. Cl clots in the, the, the veins that drain the brain, absolutely. Um, that they are known risk factors for those. Now, these only occur at a phenomenally low rate in the population in general. But kind of if you had this double, triple whammy of intravenous injection plus a, a woman in a particular hormonal state plus another risk factor we maybe don't know, then maybe that causes this low platelets mm. and, and, and the blood clotting. So why not just get rid of these one of these risk factors? So do you think maybe, John, that a trick was missed and a red flag either not seen or ignored? I think that's a serious question that serious uh, senior health analysts need to answer. Now, if you take Denmark, for example, Denmark has changed their policy. They have said for all, all nurses and doctors who are giving uh, an injection for, for coronavirus should stick the needle in and aspirate before they inject. You see, these protocols were developed with old-style vaccines. We've never had messenger RNA vaccines before. We've never had adenovirus vector vaccines before. These are new. Mm. So, so why, why would we want to assume that, that the protocols for the new vaccines are the same as the protocols for the old vaccines? That, 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 that's what you call an over-extrapolation mm. in science. Why, why would you assume that? It's not necessarily the case. In your medical mind, John, I'm hearing red flag. Um, I, I'm hearing questions that need to be answered by senior medical people and, and pretty quickly. Um, because at the moment, for example, uh, if I was a young, if I, if I, I don't have a daughter, but if I had a 25-year-old daughter and she was going for um, a vaccine at the moment, I would be concerned that the vaccinator was not aspirating prior to administering that, 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 that vaccination. Let's look at the other one, the mRNA, the Pfizer yeah. uh, vaccine, yeah. because... 
if you look at the research from places like Israel, like people yep. who have their two doses of that are practically bulletproof, let alone COVID proof. It really is working well. How does how 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 does that differ from say the adenovirus ones? Yeah, it's, it's a good point that, that the reinfection rate we've just learned today from the COVID symptom tracker app, if you've had two doses of the vaccine, and that would include the vaccine, the reinfection rate, your chances of getting reinfected are one in 15,000. Wow. And that compares to one in uh, 1,100 without the vaccine. Mm. And after one dose of the vaccine, it's about one in five and a half thousand. And, and your chance of being infectious, any more data on that? It, that's another interesting one, PJ, as well. Senior senior medical authorities have been very reluctant to say that this vaccine reduces your infectivity. But to me, I just don't see how it wouldn't reduce your infectivity. Because if you're not making the virus, if mm. your immune system is combating the virus, then you've no virus to shed. I suspect the reason they're not talking about that is because they don't want people to um, become too close. They want to maintain the social distancing, the hands, face, space, the hygiene and the ventilation. So I can kind of see what they're coming from there. Mm, until enough of us are vaccinated. Yes, yes. until we're reaching herd immunity. But no, no question in my mind it's reducing infectivity. No question at all it's reducing it. Come back to the Pfizer one and how it's different. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines are what you call mRNA. So that stands for messenger ribonucleic acid. Now, this is all really clever stuff. What what the people that have invented these vaccines have done is they've taken the gene sequence in the original virus and they've surrounded it by a little fatty uh, capsule. And then you inject that, then it's this messenger RNA that goes into the cell in your arm. And that messenger RNA tells the cell in your arm to make the spike protein for the coronavirus. Mm. That is then recognized by the immune system. So rather than me cooking your dinner, instead of doing that, I just throw the recipe book at you and say, there, PJ, go make it yourself. <laughs> So, so the, 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 the cells are getting this recipe for a part of the SARS coronavirus 2 virus. The cells are making it themselves. They're expressing it on the outside of the cell. And then the immune system reacts to that. And as, as we see from the Israeli data, produces a very good immune response. We are seeing herd immunity now in Israel. Don't there's any question about that. Remarkable technology too. John, our numbers here in Ireland are going in the right direction at long yes. last after three very, very dodgy months. UK numbers going in the right direction too and of course a huge vaccine programme being rolled out. But you did some comparisons from around the world this week and I think, I think the message is this is far from over. Uh, I mean, I've, I can't I can't give you details on it, but I've talked to friends in India today and they're getting 200,000 new cases per day in India. And then some of my friends in India have actually ran out of oxygen. Um, so in, in parts of the world like India, Brazil, Turkey, the, the numbers are going very high. Um, African countries, it's very hard to say. Some of them aren't, aren't even keeping data. So the, the, the pandemic is surging ahead, even in parts of Europe. I mean, in France, for example, the cases are starting to level off and go down a bit now, but they've been locked down for a few weeks. Czech Republic, of course, has been up and down. Sweden is still really pretty high. And this was the place they were all telling us last year was doing it right because they didn't bother with lockdowns. They, they, they effectively tried to get herd immunity at the forest go. It hasn't worked, has it? It's, it's been a complete failure, hasn't it? Uh, and the data has shown that. And, and we've always known this. 
you know, p- pandemics come in waves. In 1918, there was a major pandemic of, of this H1N1 influenza virus. But there's actually more people died in 1919 in the second wave. Mm. Um, this is unfortunately the way pandemics work. And such an important point here, PJ, because, the, you know, w- w- when we say this isn't over for anyone until it's over for all of us, there's real truth in that, because if this virus is proliferating in Iran or Turkey or it doesn't matter where it is, then as the virus replicates, it can mutate and that can then re-emerge and cause cause further infections around the world. So really, none of of us are safe until all of us are safe. Well, uh, in terms of getting rid of the virus to significant amounts, that's true. Um, I wouldn't quite say we're not safe because the people that have had two doses of the vaccine in in the UK, whether it's the Pfizer vaccine or the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine, which are the main ones that have been rolled out in the UK, that there are, as we said, one in 15,000 people have been reinfected. Mm. So, so, okay, that's very few people, but that works out at a few hundred people around about the country. And none of them, none of them have been hospitalised. None have died. And in fact, they, they all report a very minor illness. Mm. Which, which stresses the importance, and the World Health Organization is talking about the COVAX programme, stresses the importance of getting not millions, billions of doses of vaccines to those other parts of the world. Yes, because I'm still optimistic that this virus can be probably essentially eradicated. It's going to take quite a few years. It's going to take quite a few seasons to do that. But it is going to depend on mass vaccination and mass herd immunity. And as long as it doesn't retreat into an animal reservoir like like mink or cats or some wild animal, then I'm fairly optimistic that in, in five, ten years' time that th- this can be got rid of. But it's important to realise there's going to be... Um, coronavirus infection coronavirus 2 infection for the next few seasons that is for sure and before we frighten the life out of my listeners this morning john once we can all be vaccinated like we can get our lives back we're not going to be living in this kind of setup for the next 10 years Absolutely. Uh, if you've if you've had two vaccines and you get from all the data we've had now, if you've had two vaccines and you get infection, it's going to be a minor inconvenience. Mm-hmm. The, the the main the main reason you wouldn't go into work is so not to infect people if you were infectious for a short period of time. Uh, it, it's going to take the real threat away from it. It's going it's going to take it's going, the vaccination is going to take away nearly all the vast majority of the danger. Um, so so in terms of getting our lives back, yes, we can be optimistic, but it's important to realise it is going to take a few seasons and we're probably going to need booster vaccinations this winter and probably next winter. And and those booster vaccinations will be targeted at the mutations and the variants that are prevalent at that time, which, of course, is exactly what we do for flu virus. Yeah. So I think as long as we, we recognise it's going to be there for a short period of time, but but personally, my anxiety levels are going down by the day, and my personal anxiety levels are going to go down a lot more when I get my second dose of vaccine. Well, John, good luck with that. Uh, we're not quite there yet, but hopefully we'll get there. Hopefully we'll get there. Always good to talk to you. Thank you very much. OK, thanks, Peter. See you. Such an impressive man, such an impressive ability to to communicate really complex science for the layman. That's John Campbell, Dr. John Campbell. You'll find his YouTube channel. There's dozens of videos. He does one every day on a various aspect of this pandemic. And you name it, he's done a video to try to answer 
your question. And it's great to have him on the show. He did ask me uh, off air if we could maybe use our influence to try to bring his concerns about the adenovirus vaccines and clotting and the experiment on mice back in the mid noughties. If we could bring that maybe to, you know, up the line a little bit and maybe get someone to take notice of it in this country. And we'll do what we can. We'll do what we can. 1850-715-996. Speaking of nurses, and of course John is a nurse, I'm reminded uh, that it was six years ago today that the body of a young nurse, young Cork nurse, Karen Buckley, was found on a farm. It was four days after she'd gone missing in Glasgow. She'd gone missing, effectively, Monday. Uh, That was the 12th of April. And then she was found... On the 16th, she had been last seen outside a nightclub. Uh, She was 24, and what I remember about her, I remember talking about it on the papers at the time, was this astonishingly gorgeous smile, a smile that could light up a street, let alone a room. And an absolute thug called Alexander Pacto killed her and concealed her body in a barrel on a farm. He was jailed for a minimum of 23 years. Uh, at the High Court in Glasgow later that year. But it was six years ago today that her body was found. And we think of her, and more importantly, we think of those left behind, her devastated parents and family and friends. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Something else I must tell you, good news on a Friday. Nice to have good news on a Friday. One of my favourite Facebook pages, which I thought had disappeared, hasn't. i tell you about that in a while. I, I told you about it months ago. It's really funny. And they're back. I, well, they don't seem to have gone anywhere. I just couldn't see them for a bit. I'll tell you about it. Shortly. 1850-715-996. If you are a parent and if you have teenagers who use social media and like we're always saying, they're way ahead of us in terms of the stuff they're using. If you even hear mention of the word discord in your house in terms of social media, uh, it's a red flag, a very big red flag. And we have a harrowing tale, a harrowing tale from a listener. It's an ongoing tale. Uh, bringing that to you in a wee while. But first, again, staying with the Friday positivity and taking joy from little things. Now that we can move around a bit uh, and go to the four corners of our beautiful county this weekend, then we can find things to do all around. Things like takeaways and coffee and food trucks and things to do and things to see and beaches to visit and places to walk. There's a great Instagram uh, account called Bits and Bites. Ashley McCarthy, good morning. Hi, CJ, how are you? It's a whole website, actually. Tell me about it. Um, I suppose I started Bits and Bites um, after travelling because every time I went away, I'd try to find a page where I could find everything in one. So from food and things to do and see. Um, and I suppose that's why I started. And then I created a list yesterday. So the Bits and Bites Cork Road Trip Guide with restrictions lifting, I want to give people something to look forward to. Yeah. So what have you got? What have I got? Well, the whole list is on Instagram. Um, I suppose my favourite spots would be 
Kinsale and Noble Cove, Craft Food Truck in Ross Carberry. Like there's so much mm. that we can see. I suppose we're fortunate enough to have so much to explore that I wanted to share as much as possible in the mm. guide and so, have this and bites be your go-to for food and travel. If we wanted to do a road trip, say, if the weather held and we want to do a little road trip on Sunday and head out west or head out east, in, within our county, of course, and we're yeah. doing all the right things, we want to find a little coffee stop or maybe a little takeaway, we can go to Bits and Bites, and there they are. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you research all this? Um, I suppose just from being on my page the whole time, I saw different coffee trucks pop up over the last few months. Um, and I suppose I've just been researching myself because I wanted something to follow when restrictions lifted as well. Yeah. And everywhere that is operating at the moment, they need our custom and they need, they've need. they been waiting for this day to come when we could all go and visit them. So Yeah, of course. Yeah, so little coffee shops and takeaways and coffee and food trucks. And there's a lot of them out there. I was only came across one yesterday, a brand new one. Yeah. Uh, up, up near me uh, and it's a place where people have been walking all through lockdown but there's yeah. a little coffee truck set up there and I was talking to the, 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 the woman running it and she was just so happy with the way that even even with the restrictions she was doing a bit of business and making a few quid which is great to see yeah there's a lot of coffee trucks now parked in I suppose the popular walkways and stuff so it'd be people's local I suppose with the five kilometre restrictions the last while Mm. that's gone now so we can move around a bit alright it's Instagram it's Facebook it's Bits and Bites it's what it's called Ashling. thank you very much that's Ashling McCarthy uh, there isn't a website actually bitsandbites.ie it's just a Facebook and an Instagram and I must tell you a bit like yesterday talking about the, the food on Instagram pictures of food on Instagram you could spend hours just just drooling over the pictures of the food. Buns and potatoes and pizzas and coffee and strawberries and, and then lovely places to go to sit and eat your strawberries or your ice cream. Beautiful pictures from around the city and county. Fanula, I assume, Fanula, you are a nurse. A fantastic interview with Dr. John Campbell. That is the way I was taught and I'm doing the same Today, this is what he's talking about, the tiny little thing that you do when you're giving an injection into somebody's muscle. He doesn't think they're doing it in this country, and he believes that they should be. And that is, when you put in the needle, you should just pull it back slightly to make sure you don't get any blood in the needle, and then you do the injection. Because he's very, very certain that there's something going on there if, by some accident, the vaccine gets into the blood rather than into the muscle. Uh, thank you for that, Fanula. And we are going to podcast extra uh, John's chat with us and his YouTube channel is just look for Dr. John Campbell. Now, what's your journey, what you're going to hear next comes from a regular listener uh, to the programme uh, who is the parent of a number of children. Uh, what you're about to hear, we have verified we have anonymized to protect this person's identity, to protect the identity of their child. But I can tell you, and also because there is an investigation undergo underway, we obviously need to keep everybody's identity well and truly under wraps. But we have made every effort to do that. Like I said, if you have any 
teenagers and they are talking about something called Discord. This may be a salutary lesson. The email is read by Victoria Nichols. Hi, PJ. This is a long message, but it concerns a very important topic that I desperately need you to highlight. So thanks in advance. Could you please ask parents to check their children and teenagers' social media accounts regularly, as regularly as possible? I'm quite strict about this, at least I thought I was. I make random checks on my teenagers' phones, whether they like it or not. I see it as part of my job as their parent. However, recently, one of my teenagers, let's call them A, was sent a nude photo. The person in the photo can't have been more than 13. When my teenager clicked on a link, it downloaded to the phone. And it came from a social media site called Discord. While I'm obviously upset about the picture in the first place and told my kid in no uncertain terms that this wasn't acceptable, we put it behind us and I just figured, well, that's one of those things. Let's not fall out about it, but don't do it again. As a parent, PJ, I think you'll understand that. To cut a long story short, anyway, the next thing I knew, there was a knock at the front door a couple of days ago. There were two guardie on my doorstep with a warrant to take and examine any devices that my teenager uses or can access. They told me it was because of the picture. Now, PJ, the guardie could not have been nicer or more professional. They explained everything to me and answered all my questions. As you can imagine, I had quite a few. I was very upset. A's phone and laptop are now being examined. A swears that there's nothing else and that this photo is the only one. I know parents are biased, but I accept and believe that. Now here's the very scary part, PJ. We've been told that it could take up to six months before we get either the phone or the laptop back as it will have to be checked by experts. If anything else is found, then A might end up facing a criminal charge and we won't know until the experts are finished their work. They even gave us a document explaining the process. Again, PJ, I stress that the guards were very kind and professional while they were explaining all of this. But you can imagine how we're feeling now. A's life is effectively on hold for something that downloaded itself to a phone because they simply clicked on it. What makes matters worse again is that under the law, the guardie have no option but to refer the matter to Tusa. So we'll now have to meet a social worker and probably have our whole lives scrutinised. PJ, I'm obviously hoping and praying that this will all work out, but we are now living a nightmare. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that my family would be caught up in something like this. I've been careful. I've tried to teach my children about the dangers of the internet. I never knew about this Discord site, though, and what can happen on it. As this is an ongoing investigation... I understand how careful you need to be, but PJ, I need to warn parents as best as I possibly can under the circumstances. 
a teenager can get caught up in this without knowing what they're doing and their lives could get turned inside out in one click. PJ, we can't sleep. We're barely eating. A is a basket case, terrified of what might be coming down the tracks. Someday, when it's all over, I might be able to talk to you about it. And if I can, I will. For now, though, as you can imagine, we need to be completely anonymous to your listeners. But I know I can trust you with this email and that you won't identify us. Thank you for your time. Signed, B. And I should stress that I have been in contact with B. That is a rewrite of the original email uh, so that we could help to anonymize uh, the family. Uh, that's serious stuff. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Ooh, a few things starting to happen this morning. I see where there's another hard case possibly coming up with regard to mandatory quarantine. A child... And a couple on their way back, I think, from the Ukraine. That's going to become a story over the next while uh, as another person or another group looking for exemptions from mandatory quarantine. Let's see where that one goes. You know what? I, I've been... This, this gets me into trouble. I've been somewhat impressed. I use the word somewhat as a caveat. Somewhat impressed with uh, Stephen Donnelly in the last week or so where he has been absolutely determined to push this through as hard as he can. Despite opposition from Simon Colvey, Minister of Foreign Affairs, despite opposition at one point from the Attorney General, though they've sorted that out, and now despite the EU hopping up and down and the, the Italian um, ambassador hopping up and down, hop, uh, unhappy about it, and Stephen Donnelly's attitude seems to be, well, tough, tough, suck it up, buttercup. This is how it's going to be to keep variants out of our country as best we can. And I support him 100% in that. But there's another story going to come uh, in the next few hours. Keep an eye on that. Some messages coming in about Discord, which I will get to in a wee while. Very upsetting email uh, read for us by Victoria before the 10 o'clock news from someone we're only calling B, but who is a regular listener to the programme and we have been back and forth to verify all of that. 185715996. Have you been running, walking, jogging a bit more during lockdown? And just for the sake of easing the boredom, if nothing else, getting out and walking and jogging and whatever. And have you noticed maybe that your knees are a little bit sore uh, from the jogging and the walking? And if you've been spending an awful lot of time working at home, uh, have you noticed that your knees are a little bit crocked or your back is a little bit crocked or have you shoulder problems that you didn't have before, before you were working from home? It's not that easy to get a comfortable place to sit and work, particularly if you use a computer. Well, let's talk to Sinead Murphy from Performance Physiotherapy Cork. Sinead, good morning to you. Good morning. There's How a, no, a number of things. I'm very well, thank you. A number of things that have developed over the last 12 months that people, healthy people, 
never thought like sore knees, sore ankles, sore necks, sore backs. And it's all down to the changes in our lives. Absolutely. Um, so we're seeing quite a lot of different problems in the clinic that are pretty consistent. Um, so for our office workers, um, like if we start with a regular office day, um, our incidental activity is down. So the new commute to work might be the bedroom to the kitchen. Could you get a um, tiny bit closer to that mouthpiece, Sinead, if you would, please? Yeah, can you hear me there? That's a bit better, yeah. Yeah, okay, so I would say the incidental activity in our everyday life is down, so we are less active. So sometimes we focus on being fit and exercising, but actually if we look at our general activity levels, um, our commute has changed from kind of home getting dressed, getting into the car, going to the office, walking from the car to the office, um, like going to the canteen at lunchtime. Um, so our, our new work life is a, a different routine, essentially, where we might have a setup that's not ideal. So yeah. it might be the kitchen table and the kitchen chair. Um, the Irish Society of Physiotherapy have a really good resource on um, their website. It's called askthephysio.ie. And on there, you'll find a checklist that you can look through for your workplace setup. And it runs through things like having a quiet area with low traffic so it's not too busy. Things like maybe heat and ventilation, um, lighting, not having too much glare on your screen. Um, having a decent desk setup so the right size for you. But then maybe adjusting things like your computer setup. So like, are you using a desktop? Are you using your laptop? is the setup ideal for you. And within that resource, they actually have some key measurements that you can make to set up your space to be more comfortable. Mm. So if you have a decent setup, it's just one part of of staying healthy, mm. right? Something the that second- I noticed myself, Sinead, and I, I was mentioning this to Fergal this morning as we were setting up for talking to you. My day has changed in that once I finish presenting the programme here now, I complete my day at home. So yeah. I'm, and I've over the, the 12 or 14 months, I've changed my chair three times. I've changed yeah. my desk or where I sit twice. And it's taken me the bones of a year to actually go and work in a place. And it could be for two and a half, three hours of an afternoon, constantly at the laptop, that I don't get up with a sore neck after it. Yeah, well done. I think things that you could add into that might be um, movement snacks. Like it's a new word that's coined right. on Twitter. And that's the idea of kind of intervals every hour, like actually moving. And it doesn't have to be like complicated exercise. It might be getting up. I get people to get up, walk around the house and um, mm. go up and down the stairs or do a few key stretches to change your position yeah. so that you're not staying in that seated position. Because the other thing we're seeing is people are getting up from their desk and they're just going for a run. So like we have this kind of complete contrast of doing very little to high intensity activity mm. and no in between. Yeah. And I'll give you an example. So for example, a senior GAA player who who had persistent problems with which shin splints and stress fractures we actually worked out the problem wasn't his training. The problem was he was either sitting at the desk all day at home or driving to work. So he wasn't actually loading his body in that in between. So that increased step count, that walking, um, the things that we actually don't realize. And the older we get, the more impact that's going to have on us. When we're younger, we might be running after kids. Um, mm-hmm. When we get older, we're doing less. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... So that incidental activity means that we lose that kind of middle range strength yeah. in our muscles and joints. Yeah. Um, 
will lose that resilience to kind of impact for when we decide to go running. That example. sounds like good advice anyway, Sinead, whether you're in yeah. your regular office or you're working at home. Every so often, get up, walk around, stretch the legs and then sit and down then, again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, other factors that are going to have an impact on pain, pain is complex, are things like isolation. So actually being isolated at home and not having conversations and we know that from from mental health studies um other things extending our work hours so like being at home it's handy we can just work on the extra couple of hours so we might work late into the night on the laptop and then that screen time is going to impact on our sleep and our sleep is really really important for physical well-being so it doesn't only affect how well your mind works it actually affects how well you recover from exercise for example actually that's a very good point because one thing that happens a lot I think, and I've heard so many people saying about it, is because they're working at home, their boss thinks nothing about loading another bit of work on them and says, she are at home anyway. Why don't you write that for me tonight and have it for me for the morning? Which means after spending a work day in front of the laptop, they're back again after their dinner writing up a presentation for the morning instead of moving their body in all sorts of different ways that they should be to rest Exactly, and then throw in a couple of under fives in there and then your day is gone, you know. So I have two under fives. And if you don't get your exercises done in that little bit of free time, your your hands are full, you know. Call on the phone, Sinead, which is about monitors and screens. Like, how do you set your monitor properly? Because if you have a desktop, obviously... You can put the monitor on a stand or a a couple of books, but laptop, you can't exactly do anything with that screen, can you? Yeah, the cheapest alternative is actually to buy a spare keyboard. So lift the desktop, not the desktop, the laptop onto either a few books. You can get a laptop stand. Um, My husband made me one with some wood. Um, But you you can use a few books even to lift the screen. So what's important is the screen is at eye level. So the top third of your screen is at your eye level. And then that screen is about an arm's length away. So that you're less tendency to, to kind of let your chin drift into the screen if you like gotcha. um, so that you can work in a more comfortable posture you're not stressed to actually see you need your eyes checked possibly um, but also you need regular screen breaks so that you're not staring at the screen for four hours yeah. okay the general advice is is taking 20 seconds to look into the distance every 20 minutes or so so that you're not actually just thinking into that screen right. um, because what will happen is if you're around your back You'll drop your chin towards the screen. Um, and, and the problem isn't the posture. The problem is just not moving out of the posture, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it does. Absolutely, it does. Because you, you find then when you stand up and straight, straighten it, it hurts. It means you've been in yeah. that position for, for too long. So the third part, the top third of the screen, in other words, the upper part of the screen, that should be yeah. at eye level. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And all of those details are in that resource. Um, it's a really nice resource um, kind of put into plain language by the top kind of physios in ergonomics. Um, and within that, there's a check screen, there's photos, there's diagrams, and you, you can um, access that online. Okay. So that's on askthephysio.ie. So that's a, a really good resource. Great, great. Now, okay. just to move on to something else in terms of exercise and the amount of times people have been round the block, particularly when they were tied up in five kilometres, you picked a route and you did it day in day out and you're wondering why is my knees sore they were never sore before what am i doing wrong okay um so this 
so that's a kind of a like to hit everyone with that question. Um, so I think the first thing to think about is it takes a while to get comfortable with physical activity. Okay, so what's happened is is quite often people are just doing maybe the same activity over and over again, so using the same joints and muscles. Um, you may not have like the the base underlying strength to actually cope with the impact. Um, so there's a couple of things you can look at. Can you stand up from your kitchen chair in one leg, for example? It's a really good idea of are my quads so my thighs strong enough to carry my legs and my knees? Um, can I stand on one leg? Okay, so do I have the strength through the outside of my hip to be able to balance and actually hold myself or am I tending to load my joints, for example? Mm-hmm. Um, looking at your footwear, so is your footwear comfortable? Like comfort is kind of the key um, indicator of a good shoe. So like does it hold your foot in a comfortable manner and can you stand on one leg a little bit better maybe with the runner on? for example. Um, And there's different types of runners that will suit different types of people. And and that basically depends on their foot type. Um, And a good shop, like even Buckley's will, will, for example, there on um, across on the keys, will will know what your foot type kind of shoe is, if that makes sense. I didn't say that. it's It's worth spending some money on a decent pair of walking or running shoes, isn't it? Oh, I'd prefer you to have a good pair of runners than me to see me. Um, definitely. So, like, a good pair of runners will actually make walking more comfortable. It'll make you more likely to walk, so more likely to be active, um, and also protect your tendons and joints. Um, if you're unaccustomed to walking, you maybe need to tone down what you're doing, so maybe walk either every other day or walk a little bit slower, or walk for a little, a shorter length of time and a little bit faster so that you're changing the stimulus a little bit um, as opposed to walking through pain. Does that make sense? It does. It absolutely does. Now, Facebook message has come in. Uh, Since working from home, I have pains in my right heel that I've never had before. I'm right-handed, if that matters. Okay. The right-handed probably doesn't matter. The, the heel pain is usually, could be a number of different things, so it's hard to know without actually meeting the person. Mm. You can get referred pain from your back, for example, or if you're also walking, it may be that you're unaccustomed to the, the new load of walking or running, and so that can give you heel pain. Um, and like we said earlier on, so like the incidental activity is down, so your your feet aren't as used to carrying you as they would normally be. Yeah. Um, which can contribute to those problems. Um, if it's a specific problem, you probably need an assessment with someone like your doctor or a charity physio yeah. to actually figure out what are the contributing factors to the problem. There was something very horrible and painful that I suffered myself in, I think, 2018, and I got rid of it, and thankfully it has never come back. But plantar fasciitis, can that be caused or made, you know, exacerbated by bad posture working at home? Um, it's more affected by the loading, so by not loading your foot. Right. that makes sense? So it's usually a load-related problem. Okay, so a, a spike in load, which can come from actually being unactive and coming back to a normal level of activity. Yeah. It's usually that type of problem, more so than just sitting at the desk. Right. Does that well, make sense? It does. So it's, that's it's that, that, that's a opposite. horrible, it's a horrible thing, and it takes months to shift it takes, it takes a while to shift. It can be stubborn. Um, and it's usually linked to the strength in around the foot and ankle 
and the load that we put through the foot. So if you increase your body weight, for example, there's more load on your foot. Um, If you wear a less supportive shoe, there'll be more load on the fascia itself. Um, But it's predominantly an issue that crops up because you've unloaded yourself and then you're trying to get back to some level of activity. Okay. Lastly, I go with this one from Kian. Um, The importance of a good chair for working on. There's a, a brand he mentions called, is it Hemen Work Chairs? But the importance of a good solid chair. So we talked about the the, the position of the screen and the position of the laptop. What's yeah. a good chair? Not just comfortable, right? Yeah, no. Um, a good chair is a chair that fits you, okay? So a good chair is a chair that supports your thighs adequately. So you're not, you're not sitting kind of, so I'm six foot two. So a good chair for me has to have a good depth for example. Um, A good chair is a chair where your feet reach the ground. So you may need a step, for example, to kind of pop your feet on to to reach that gap so that your chair in relation to your table is right or desk. Does that make sense? It does. Um, And then a good chair is a chair that you support your back when you're relaxed. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if it's a normal chair, it might be that you pop a cushion because not everyone has access to like new chairs. Mm -hmm. Um, But but it's, it's maybe that you pop a cushion in to support your back so your back can be in a comfortable position without you having to work. Okay. And okay? Feet, feet flat on the ground, of course. Feet yeah. flat on the ground or on um, a step if you're a little bit shorter. Okay. Sorry. Right. No, you're good. You're good. Listen, six foot two, you're taller than me. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't sit very often. Like, I'm standing, but I did have a lot of sitting there in the first lockdown. When you're online. Um, Sinead, yeah, listen, thank you very much for your time today and great information. We, we may do this again because we're going to be working from home for, for a wee while longer, I think, and learning how to, to just make ourselves comfortable. Uh, the at resource askthephysio.ie had a look at it this morning. It's very well written and very well put together. And you'll really understand it. And remember, if you are working at home, and I suppose people were told this, but it goes over your head. When you come into an office, there's now all sorts of health and safety stuff in the office. The desk must be at a given height. The laptops, the computers must be at a given position. The chairs must be made and set in a particular way. At home, there are no such rules, which is why you get sore and stiff at home. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Can we just talk? 
the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. I want to go very quickly to Claire Nash because I know you've got an appointment at half past ten. Claire, we're talking about stuff opening up and hopefully, according to the papers this morning, restaurants and other places will start to open slowly in in May. I think the point you want to make is we need notice and you need the government to come up with some kind of a date because you need to prepare. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, we do. And, you know, it's great to be talking about something like this. It's the positive energy that this creates. PJ, I've just been out on the street there. There's just so many people going back in for training, for, you know, the upskilling the or the COVID protocol piece. We've done that all before. Our, you know, our buildings have been closed down for five months, which is a long, long time when you think about it. So by the time we get open, it'll be, you know, probably six months. What we're hoping for the city centre and particularly our street and our outdoor dining pieces are that we would be out probably by the end of May. Yeah. And that sort of a phased reopening would be good, I think, for us as operators, for the restaurant industry, for the hotels, for the bars, that that would be set in and then we'd roll on to the next phase, which would hopefully be, I would think, in another four weeks would be the restaurants and um, dining mm. part of it and also that the pubs and the, and the gastropubs would get going at the same time, time as us. And it'll spread that sort of panic Mm. that, you know, stampede that we feel is going to come. And we'd hope that that would be nearly, you know, before the long weekends each each yeah. month there. There's great optimism there this morning, particularly with from Ronan Glynn and Noli Vradkir yeah. are very optimistic. And that's good mm-hmm. to see. We have to be careful, but there's great optimism. But in like for a food business and food preparation, fresh food preparation mm-hmm. in a restaurant, you couldn't just swing open the doors tomorrow morning, could you? No, I mean, even if you think of a drinks list, you know, the whole the whole absence Christmas is very different. So from, you know, just even restocking, I'm just walking through the place now and there is nothing here. So every single thing that you have to think of, every component part. I'll give you an example, PJ. We're in the process of doing a box for the CBA dinner tomorrow night, which has been packed at the Imperial Hotel. It's a big collaborative piece between um, a lot of the hotels in the city and ourselves. And there are 32 elements going into that box. Mm. At the moment, we have um, 250 cheese boxes lined up in the restaurant. It's great to get us back to work. But, you know, the actual getting it, everything ordered, getting it in, getting your producers back up to speed. You know, they just cannot just turn that on because they have most of our producers that will be smaller producers have been going to the markets. They've been going, you know, they've been at neighbor foods. They, so now we step in and we put on the demand on them again. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's exciting. It's like you can talk pivoting, but it's actually, yeah. it, you know, it's pirouetting now at this stage. Your and Twitter has all sorts has, of pictures of the staff getting ready. Yeah, getting ready. Like, we, you know, we literally, like you talk about shoes. I was just, we, we were just discussing shoes. Like when we get back to open... PJ, we could do 22, 25,000 steps a day without even blinking. So, you know, it's just the whole thing of getting us ready, getting us match fit. We found it very hard. I remember the last time we opened, after mm. about three Saturdays, we reckoned, OK, we'll just have to play in a, play in a championship game there. Yeah. And that's what it's like. You know, you're building your team. We have to get our team back. And that's the lovely thing about Cork, is that the teams are all, you know, you can see them now, they're all starting to filter around the place. And, mm. you know, there's certainly because City Council have facilitated more than ever, PJ, you know, 30 years on the business here in the city. But for them to roll out 
this um, 17 streets. Yeah. And they're working hard on it. Like, I mean, there'll be an awful lot of them will be ready in time. Did you see Oliver Plunkett Street is done in less than two days? It's massive. Done, the work is incredible that's yeah, going on. Fair it? play. And it's that kind Claire, of child of bureaucracy that has lifted yeah, and gone. And, and hopefully that, that, that will continue do. to help the businesses. Mm-hmm. Just lastly, before I let you go, Claire, yeah. I suppose one thing that is important is whenever you do get the doors open, whether it's for outside or inside, I think we've learned from previous experience how careful we need to be. So what you're saying, mm-hmm. I think, today very clearly is let us know, but give us plenty of time to be ready. Oh, plenty of time. Like, we'd hope to be knowing now by, you know, by Monday. I know that the Taoiseach is um, addressing us to, tomorrow at our dinner. And, you know, we hope that he'll have, that he'll have something um, good to tell us. Because okay. that's all we need. We need about four weeks leave. That's okay. what we need, PJ. Right, Claire. Yeah. Good luck with it when it does yeah. come. And, and we'll, see, we'll see you when it comes. Uh, Claire Nash from Nash 19, 1850715996. And people will be saying, oh, we need to be so careful because look what happened the last time. That's exactly the conversation we're having. But these businesses are going to have to reopen. It's going to have to be done safely. We'll all have to contribute to it. But right now they're saying, okay, we've been closed for a long time. Let us know when we're going to open. Give us notice. 1857-15996. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Quartz 96FM. Catch up on some of your comments. It's a busy morning and a lot of good news on the show this morning, which is nice for a Friday. Big response to Professor or Dr. John Campbell and his latest contribution to the Opinion Line. Let me tell you, we may well have a follow-up on that before the end of the show. I won't make any promises but we may have a follow-up on some of the comments that Dr. John was making in the course of his latest piece with us. And again, I would remind you to check out his YouTube channel. 40 years in nursing and teaching. I think the guy knows what he's doing, and we may, as I said, have a follow-up if we can. On Discord, and that very distressing message that we heard before 10 from a listener, all verified, all anonymized to protect the identity of that listener and their family. But a harrowing story to summarize, basically, uh, a child clicked a link and from that link came a photo, an inappropriate photo, shall we say, to their phone. And within a couple of days, there were Gardaí at the door. The phone was taken laptop was taken to be checked. If anything else is found, there could be serious implications for the youngster. Youngster insists that there's nothing else and it won't be found, but they're living in fear right now of what might happen. And that listener reached out to us passionately to ask, could we remind parents to be careful and get their kids to be careful of the dangers of this Discord site? PJ, I'm an adult, says Paul, and I use Discord for chat, community, 
for IPTV, for all different communities which are set up independently. You need an invite to join it, from what I can see. Discord is used by lots of people. Gamers use it for voice chat while they're online. Some people use it for connecting with other people who share their hobbies, and it's one of the best and most positive social networks out there. Everything that that parent described could have happened with any other social media service. Thanks so much to that family that just shared the awful story. Hopefully everything will work out for them. I'm going to make my son listen to this, as I think it's very important for them to hear about it. And that will be on the podcast, of course, which is up in mid-afternoon. There is a thing called the Family Zone Cyber Safety Blog. Um, And there's a piece about it, or a piece about Discord on it, And it said, if your child is obsessed with Fortnite, chances are good that they're also obsessed with Discord. Should you be concerned? And it goes into, here's what parents need to know, how it works, what it does, what it offers, etc., etc. But it also talks about the dangers. And it talks about profanity, abusive language, mature themes, mature games, sex violence and drugs conversations about those things. And here's the important thing. Discord is not an app that's aimed at kids. Although anyone over 13 or claims to be over 13 can download it, Discord is a social networking, networking tool that is geared towards adults. It has also, this is according to this familyzone.com blog, it has morphed into a territory that has nothing to do with gaming. There's an amount of white supremacist activity on there. There's an amount of male supremacy on there. Technically, it bans hates, hate groups, but they seem to have found a way around it to some extent. So just be wary, very wary of Discord. 1850-715-996. Joe was on about listening to Claire Nash talk about restaurants. Uh, Joe Byrne from Joseph's Hair Salon. Uh, the same for the salons. We need a date in advance to organise our stock and organise appointments for our staff. We need at least two weeks' notice. I was laughing again at the boys on the proc this morning. Boys and girls, but I think it's mostly boys. But I was laughing at the, the, the lads on the proc about my comments to do with uh, mandatory hotel quarantine. Some idiot got it into his head that I'm again it. I'm not. <laughs> I'm totally in favour of it. I'm again the way they're doing it. The shambles where they ran out of hotel rooms after a week and a bit. And they hadn't planned for that. So we'll have more hotel rooms again by this weekend and more by the middle of next week. And I think it's an absolute shambles and I still think it's an absolute shambles. And we've hundreds of empty hotels in Munster and yet we're still bussing people to hotels in Dublin from Shannon and possibly from Cork. Moreover from Cork, the Tifco group, I think, have definitely one and possibly two hotels. One is within the NASA's roar of the airport. The other is a maybe half an hour's drive away at best. And we're still sending people to Dublin. That is the kind of carry-on that I think is shambolic. But as for mandatory hotel quarantine, I don't think we're doing it even tough enough. So there and then. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Abba Escort undoubtedly Ireland's number one tribute show ever, performing in excess of 150 sellout concerts each year. They come to Cork on Friday, October 1st to play Cypress Avenue. All areas. There's four more concerts coming up as part of Cork Orchestral Society's online programme for 2021. There's one a month taking place from April to July, and they feature Fingine Collins, Winds of Change, Change of Plan, and Divas featuring three sopranos in July. More information can be found at CorkOrchestralSociety.ie. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing AAA at 96FM. .ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on side. On Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. We're doing our best this Friday uh, to be positive because of the fact that we can now go around our county there are lots of takeaways open, lots of coffee shops open, lots of places to go and to see. And because of the the science, we now know that when you're outside in the open air, the chances of you actually catching COVID once you, you know, observe basic protocol, it's it's very, very low indeed, which is great. And it all ties in with what hopefully will be a very positive weekend. Let us go to look at some local businesses to see how they're dealing. Let's go to Long Strand. Peter Shanahan has the fish basket. Peter, good morning to you. PJ, how are you keeping? You're well? I'm very well, sir. Very well. And I know it's with a, with a, a nice weekend ahead. You'll be hoping to have a few visitors. The, the, the easing of the 5K has has been great for people like yourselves. Most definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. We see a, a definite um, increase in, in footfall around the place, especially down here on the, the Long Strand. As you say, it's uh, one of those safe places to head for where the, the powers that be are telling everyone to stay at the outdoors and spread out, and that's what we're blessed with down here is plenty of space. Plenty of space, plenty of fresh air and all of that. And I suppose like every other business, you, you've adapted to allow people to queue safely and everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone has down here, they putting systems in place and stuff like that so you know we run a one-way system and it's first come first serve and it seems to work for us for our business model and people are very respectful of it in fairness they tend to read the signs and do it there too and like once you deliver your best product at the end of it they're happy to wait yeah and your product you know your your reputation precedes you um and and you have a very good reputation for it peter yes yeah, yeah, know, yeah. A busy weekend ahead. Hopefully, the weather will hold. So you'd expect numbers to be up. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. We're you know we're down here with the last few months watching the tide go in and out, and we're we're looking forward to seeing people being able to travel and come down to us again. Very good, very good, and a lovely view as well. As long as as you munch your your fish and chips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a yeah. Fabulous the view. Best place in the world. We don't put any salt in the chips that comes in from the sea. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there's a thing, and ever since I was a small boy, there is no nicer bag of chips, no nicer bag of chips 
than the one you eat by the sea. I don't know no, why it is. <laughs> it's all in the head. It's in the psyche. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. why it is. You know, and moreover, if you've... Well, it's a bit early for me, but moreover, if you've been for a swim, that bag of chips, as you recover from your swim, is the nicest in the world. <laughs> it warms up. <laughs> Listen, good luck with everything, Peter, and uh, hopefully see you over the, the weeks and months ahead. That's in West Cork. Let us go to the seafront or the promenade there in Cove to Addicted, which is a, a lovely cafe. Uh, is it line two? Elizabeth Cronin. Hi, Liz. How are you doing? PJ, how are you doing? Good. A lot of people paying a visit to Cove for the first time in ages because of the lifting of the 5K. Have you been busy? We have. We have. We can see the increase. Um, and the footfall again is getting higher as the, the uh, I suppose, the 5K. The restrictions been. are eased, yeah, yeah. yeah we, we can't overstress the need to be careful, of course, but it's great to be able to do it again. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. And, you know, we, um, all the guidelines we follow and we have adapted the business uh, in regards to we have put outdoor canopies. Mm. We've, you know, we're on the waterfront, on the pier head. So, you know, it's, it's beautiful to come and visit Cove, yeah. sit down, have a coffee and, you know, apply sure. to the guidelines. Cove on a spring day. You know, there's there's very few nicer places in the world, and that lapping of the water and everything. It, it was an, it was an awful season last year because there was no there was no tourists at all. But you know, hopefully things will improve this year. Yeah, well, I suppose last year we opened up our business during COVID. Mm. So the 29th of June we opened up. Now we've had custom because we're a takeaway business. But you know, we're looking forward to and welcoming. The visitors that will come to Cove in the future, and just to stay positive, really, you know. Yeah, yeah. As a relatively new business, if someone was popping down on the train and getting off the train down there by the Titanic Centre, how how would they find you? Oh well, they just we once you hop off that train, you keep going along, and we're right on the pier head, so we're just um, beyond the Titanic building itself. Yeah, and right on the pier front, so we're looking right out at the harbour. It's fantastic. It's a little jewel in the middle of Cove. And, you know, John Griffin is um, the owner of the business. I manage it for him. And he has put a lot into this town and adapted well to the circumstances that, you know, I suppose become much the norm now, really. Indeed, you know? Indeed. Very good. Yeah. Listen, and good, good luck with it. And I hope you have a wonderful spring and summer, as I say. I can't wait to get down to Cove myself at some point I'll be up for a coffee. Let us pop to Blarney and the surrounds uh, Kate Durant, how are things going in one of the, the best tourist mm. vi- villages in, in the country at the best of times but it's been a, a quiet old time. Good morning Hi PJ, it's been quiet but you know it, it's been so lovely this week to see different faces because it, it is a village and it's very much a village if anybody new comes in, certainly at the moment you recognise them and we're all so excited to go, God, you passed somebody you actually didn't know them and so we're starting to see people come back but I think it's, uh, there's, there's nowhere nicer to go than Blarney at the moment, you're right we've still got to be careful because we've made great progress and nobody wants to go back yeah. so we've got everything to here in Blarney we've got space, most of what we do is outdoors anyway, yeah. so I suppose the big square you, you, yeah. oh god, I mean with the square, which is one of the only ones in 
Ireland. And that alone, just to sit in and watch the people go past is beautiful. You can look up, there's two churches. There's the Church of Ireland. It's got a Harry Clark window for anyone that's into their history. You've got a children's playground, a really lovely children's playground. You've got a beautiful Waterloo Walk, which is uh, about an hour and a half long walk. And there's sculptures and there's rivers and there's there's, um, there's, there's the Clohine Milcon Fen, better known as the Duck Walk, which goes all the way out to the Sunset Ridge and back. And of course, most importantly, we've got the castle. And when you go into the castle, you're on a working farm, there's sheep, there's lambs, there's calves, there's donkeys, there's horses, there's waterfalls, there's a fern garden, there's a witch's kitchen, there's loads of really magical stuff for the kids, you know, they, 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 apparently if you get there early enough in the morning, the fire in the witch's kitchen is still hot, I've never managed to do it, but <laughs> I hope to one day. There's a, there's a Vietnamese garden, Adam, the, the head gardener, went out to Vietnam and, and it's actually saved species from going extinct and there's, there's even a cardamom hot built there to kind of recognise that. It's magical. There was a little cafe, I don't know if it's still there, there was a little cafe down there before the entrance to the uh, castle. Was it an old post house or an old post office? It had the best eggs benedict in Ireland. Well, I think it still does. It's It's got a new owner, a really nice guy. Um, and I think they're doing some kind... They have a little area out the front where they can barbecue outside the cafe. So, yeah, so how how nice then to get a, a, a burger this weekend and sit on the green and people watch. Or you can get your ice cream from Centra. You know, it, it's it's just lovely. And it Fantastic. doesn't, you know, it, 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 it's, it's just everything. And you can walk to the children's playground. The 215 bus will bring you from Mahan or from Cork. Oh, yeah. There's plenty of car parking if you... If you've got a car, but if not, you can get the bus out and you can walk to the playground, you can get your burger, you can go into the castle. Um, sorry for the people who went before me, but to be fair, there's nowhere other than Blarney. <laughs> and no one better to sell it than you, Kate. Thank you very much. We'll talk again. Kate Durant in Blarney, a beautiful place to go and visit. You can get out of your 5K. You can go to all these places. You can get your coffee, your takeaway. It's all fine now because we know that once you're a little bit careful scientifically... Once you're in the open air, you're a heck of a lot safer. We opened our program this morning after doing all the numbers, the wonderful positive numbers that we now have, by another conversation with Dr. John Campbell. He has had nearly 40 million views of his various YouTube videos now, and he's got almost a million subscribers who download his videos every single day. He's a retired nurse teacher and a retired A&E and psychiatric nurse and as we said before he, he breaks down the science into really really simple stuff and we were talking to him about the vaccines AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson and he reckons as a nurse who gave thousands of injections in his time he reckons that there may be something worth looking at with the intravenous injection or the intramuscular injection of the vaccines when you put a needle in the muscle, you can sometimes accidentally hit a vein. There's a way to check for that, but we don't do it. It's called aspirating. He reckons we should start doing it and should start doing it because it might avoid these problems. And he's found research that proves it. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Here's that clip. Now, this data from 2006 showed that if you give adenovirus vectors intravenously into a blood vessel in mice, not done in humans because that would be unethical, obviously. So in mice, if you give these intravenous 
adenoviruses, they will stimulate the platelets to start clotting. That, and that will trigger blood clots. Now, that, that happens if you give it intravenously. Mm. So the current protocols for giving these vaccines are from the World Health Organization. And I don't know about the Irish protocol, PJ, but I suspect it's the same. And in, in the UK, the protocol is that you stick the needle in and you don't aspirate. You just inject straight away, kind of hoping for the best that you're in a muscle. And John was saying that in about a thousand uh, injections, you'll be right but there's always the one that you won't. And when we're injecting in millions and millions of arms, you could end up with a problem. He asked me to politically if we could pass that up the line. Uh, Fine Gael TD, Colin Burke is the party spokesperson on health and is a member of the health committee. Colin, good morning to you. Good morning. I actually thought it was uh, an extremely uh, good interview and I think he's raised a very important issue um, and I would actually believe him um, in the sense that I can go back to, um, in in a reverse way, where, um, unfortunately, um, you know, where drug addicts use a procedure to make sure they get the vein rather than get the muscle. This is a case of we trying to get the muscle rather than getting the vein. Mm. And I think, you know, in the studies that have been shown, um, for instance, and this is the frightening part of it, uh, 30 cases of 30 cases identified 29 um, um, where there was adverse effects were, were women. And, and that's the group under 60. So I think this is something that can easily be checked and it's certainly something I intend raising. Mm. Is there a possibility that you could have Dr. Campbell invited before the committee to appear remotely because his, his videos column are amazing. They're worth a look. Yeah, I certainly am um, going to raise it. Um, we have a number of issues. You know, we've, we plan our agenda in the Health Committee um, quite a, a number of months in advance, but it's certainly something I, I intend raising at the committee to see how can we help um, in order to reduce uh, the adverse outcomes. And in fairness, I suppose, you know, I just got the figures from the UK, but I'm not sure how reliable these are. Out of 20.6 million uh, people vaccinated, there was 100 cases. That's right. And then there was 22 deaths, but that's 22 deaths too many. And I think we need to make sure that all of the options are looked at. And this is a very simple procedure, what he's talking about. Wouldn't it? Because he he was saying about the the whole reference to mice back in in 2006, when they did put these types of viruses into the vein, plotting began to happen. Like that's, it would be incredible if we did something like change a protocol, it might make them safe. Absolutely. And I mean, remember, it's a very small number that the adverse effect occur. Because the chances of hitting a vein are very small. Yeah, but but at the same time, once there's a risk there, then you must take all possible uh, measures to make sure that this risk is reduced further and if at all possible, eliminated. And certainly something I have no difficulty in following up on. And I think the whole areas that he covered this morning from the vitamin D issue which was one of the things I pushed very strongly since last November um, and I now want to push that one about okay we can't put in funding um, we can't put in funding there isn't funding available for um, vitamin D for the in this year's health budget mm. but that it should be included in next year's budget because the figures on it are quite frightening as regards the deficiency in vitamin D mm. and like and he touched on that this morning as well and I think it's an extremely important issue and this is about being proactive one of the things that we have done uh, or that we tend to do in Ireland is is being reactive to something happening rather than being proactive to mm. prevent it from happening. Mm. Um, and I think he, he also told us that Denmark has 
already changed its protocol for intramuscular injections that now they must aspirate for a second to check. Yeah. And Denmark, in fairness, and this is the point I've been pushing for a long number of years, for instance, you know, you take in in relation to why we're running into a lot of difficulties in relation to the vaccination programme is the fact that we don't have all our um, patients, all our people across the country computerised. If you, in Denmark, if you have a patient medication card, you go into your GP, your GP can immediately open your file on the computer, you present your card, he puts the prescription on the on your file, gives you back your card, okay. doesn't give you the prescription. You go down to the pharmacy, you hand in your card, they can access your prescription. Yeah. So if you're suddenly admitted to hospital, the hospital can open your file and can see all the records the on, you, on, you, on you straight and like away. We are, they started that in 1996. Like we have something like, I you know, 16 or 1700 different computer systems in all our hospital services and health services across the yeah. country. Yeah. We need to reduce that right. down so that we can have a, a more straightforward system and that we can get access to records in a timely manner. Right. And For, that's for no reason do. other than time, Colin, I'm going to yep. stop you there. Thank you for, for taking our call. Uh, Colin Burke, Finnegale, spokesperson on health, member of the health committee is going to take Dr. John Campbell's concerns to the next level in this country. That is real development here on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. So I've been in touch off air with Dr. John Campbell and I've told him that Deputy Colin Burke was on the show talking about that possible connection and he's going to take it up the line a bit. So we'll see where it goes. Something very exciting might just have started on the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. If nothing else, we'll take this incredible piece of observation from Dr. Campbell and we'll put it into our political machine and into our Oireachtas Committee. An Oireachtas Committee which, let's face it, John did say he was most impressed with with regards to vitamin D. So let us see where it goes from here and we will keep in contact with it. But something might have started this morning on the opinion line. So we're certainly going to keep an eye. 1850-715-996. It missed anything in our first couple of hours this morning, particularly that exchange with John Campbell and the follow-up with Deputy Cullen Burke. We put the podcast up in the afternoon and in fact our conversation with Dr. Campbell is already up as a podcast extra. It's a very, very important discussion we've had with him this morning. We'll see where the follow-on leads us. We were talking yesterday with Michael Gearin uh, at at Coon Lee about, our brewery rather, about, you know, the report on the abuse of alcohol and how the abuse of alcohol has shot up during the pandemic and we talked about in particular the dangers of wine up clock do you remember we had a follow on chat when Naomi uh, rang the opinion line to say that she's now taken her drinking in under control because at the start of the pandemic it was a glass of wine in the evening then it was a bottle and then it was sometimes two and she was getting a bit concerned so she pulled back on herself and Michael was going over the dangers of wine o'clock As if by magic, a book lands in front of me about someone who five years ago decided to just give up alcohol 
for 30 days and never went back and has now written a book about it. A lot of people are looking at their own personal drinking habits in the course of the pandemic and we said we'd catch up with Kate Gunn. The book is called The Accidental Soberista and you weren't particularly a heavy drinker, Kate. You just decided let's take a break. Good morning. Good morning, TJ. Thanks a million for speaking to me. Um, no, I, I wasn't a, a heavy drinker. I was, I suppose, what you would call a normal drinker. Um, so it was never like my drinking habits were never called into question by anybody. Um, it was just that acceptable level of drinking that we all do. Mm. And what made you decide to give it a break for initially 30 days? Um, Well, it was primarily because my uh, partner had been suffering with reflux issues, which is like really common in in Ireland. Um, And his doctor had said to him that, you know, the the alcohol may be aggravating it. So to give up for 30 days might be a good idea just to see if it improved the symptoms. So he came back to tell me he was going to give it a break for 30 days. um, And I said I would join him just for those 30 days and then we'd be back to normal afterwards. A little bit of solidarity. Yeah. When did you start drinking? Um, I was about 16, I guess, um, which in uh, some realms is quite late. Um, but the usual, you know, uh, taking little nips from the parents' drinks cabinet and, and making them into uh, concoctions that you drink in a field. Um, so, yeah, the, just the usual, really, and then trying to get into, like, pubs and, and nightclubs and things like that with fake IDs. Um, and then just the, the regular from there, I guess. Yeah. And, like, what would have been a typical consumption between yourself? And is it, is it Christian is his name? What would have been a typical um, consumption, say, on a Friday night at home? Uh, well, my drinking habits would have changed, you know, in the different stages of life that I went through, I, I guess. Um, and Christian's actually my uh, ex-husband, and he stumbled onto the um, One Year No Beer um, website, right. which gives like a 30-day or 90-day challenge. And he had signed up to that. He was actually the first person in my life to do that. So he had signed up to the 90-day challenge, um, and I thought he was like nuts. I thought that this is crazy. He'll never do it. Um, and then my brother kind of saw the changes in him and saw that he was like, you know, he just seemed happier in himself. Um, And so he said, all right, I'm going to do the 90 day challenge as well. So that was two people in my life. So by the time uh, Aon, my my partner, um, came back from the doctors, it was kind of, you know, it it was in my head already, I suppose, that it was possible. Right, right. And so 30 days, was it difficult at first? Uh, The first couple of weekends were um, not so much difficult, but just like boring, I think, Um, because we're so used to, you know, that's how we we socialize and and relax and mark the weekends. And so to have that taken away, you know, the Friday night, the Saturday night, they just felt very um, dull. Um, But after those first couple of weeks, we realized very quickly that, you know, we have to focus not on the Friday and Saturday nights, but on the, like, Saturday and Sunday mornings. So we started planning things. So, you know... Because you were in a better... Like, you you noticed very quickly that there was... You were feeling better on a Saturday and Sunday. Oh, very quickly. And, you know, I would have had, uh, over the years, uh, suffered quite badly from from hangovers. Um, And I could have had whole weekends wiped up, wiped out by by a hangover. Um, And certainly, you know, uh, like one day, even after, you know, it it didn't really matter whether I had had a full-on night out 
or a couple of glasses of wine at home, and yeah. the hangovers would hit. Would oh, hit the like older you get, in fairness, like I Absolutely. mean, I, <laughs> Saturday, Saturday morning after after drink is a hell of a lot harder these days than it was twenty years ago for all of us. You know, you're, absolutely, you're, and and you know when you have kids and you're you know off oh. on the football runs and things oh. like that, and you're dragging yourself through Saturday mornings uh, to have that taken away and to be given this new lease of life where you had all this energy and you're waking up early and ready to go. The memories, um, the memories of standing at the back of a dance class praying for it to end. <laughs> I've been there, I've been there. <laughs> Thinking I'm going to die if you don't stop soon. <laughs> and that was gone. And how long was that gone? How quickly did that bad feeling disappear? Fresher mornings. Uh, well, the fresher mornings were, were almost instant. You know, the the, the, the first, the second weekend, um, you know, you're waking up on your Sunday mornings and just feeling great. Um, so we really embraced that. And as I say, took the focus off what we were missing out on on the Friday and Saturday nights uh, and really focused on, on what we could get out of this month. And you know, this time when you sit down in front of the television or whatever you're doing on a, on a Friday and the time comes and one of you asks, will you have a drink? What did you do to replace that moment? Um, yeah, that that definitely takes time because we are we've programmed ourselves really to to you know associate the drink with the relaxation or de-stressing or celebration or commiserating or, or whatever it is. So that's what we automatically reach for. So it does take time to to change those habits. Um, and we just had to find different things that, that worked for us in those occasions. So, you know, I found running was brilliant for de-stressing. Um, and in the evenings, you know, at, at the beginning, we were like sipping on our peppermint tea and, you know, feeling sorry for ourselves. <laughs> but there is a, a there's a rake of different um, alcohol-free drinks out there now, and they are really, really good. Mm. Uh, the wines, perhaps not so much, but um, the beers and the, like, the, the gins and things like that. Some of the um, beers are they're great. fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant, yeah. Um, so you can have that glass of beer in the evening and feel like you know you're you're going through that routine of having a drink to relax, uh, and it does work surprisingly well. How did your friends look upon it when you decided after thirty days? Hang on, we're going to stick with this. Um, yeah, they were a bit confused. I think at first. Um, it certainly wasn't expected, and as I say, I was never like you know the, the messy drunk that the mm. people felt. Well, were they expecting that, that at the idea. end of thirty days? Ah, at the end of thirty days, now we we'll see Kate down the off license loaded. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> uh, back with a bang, uh, but that yeah, that didn't happen. But uh, rather than saying you know, I never said I'm never going to drink again. We just went for the thirty days and and then said like we're enjoying this let's give it another 30 days and then at the end of that 30 days we said okay well let's try the the 90 days and it just went from there really so there was never a big announcement to my friends group that like I'm giving up alcohol it was just a gradual process and and after the initial you know month or two they just got used to it and and it stopped being an issue at all. So where are you now as in Do you say now I'm Kate and I don't drink or I haven't had a drink for years? Like if I offered you a drink now, would you take it? Uh, no, and it took me years, like literally years, to actually say I don't drink. And I remember the moment because I was out and somebody was about to pour me a glass of wine. And I just said, oh, I don't drink. And it popped out of my mouth completely unexpectedly. And it wasn't until that moment that I was kind of ready to was, say it. Was this somebody who knew so you? Much. 
Um, no, they did. They didn't know me. They didn't know I didn't drink. So they were just like pouring a glass of wine as, as you would. For, yeah, because you know, I think you know, if that was table. a friend, like they might the rise would pop out of their head and say, "Hey, I'm just like, you know." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they they all came to accept it though. So they would see me like as a as a non drinker now. And did any you know, of your uh, circle first, of friends did attitudes change? Did anybody look at you and say, "What's this about"? Um, as I say, they were a bit confused at the start, but got used to it very quickly. Um, I definitely think um, people became curious about it because they saw that, you know, I wasn't missing out on anything um, and my life was better because of this choice. So I definitely think people became around me became curious about it, like I became curious about it through Christian and, and my brother. Yeah. Did you stop getting invited on nights out? Did any of that happen? Uh, initially, yeah, myself and Dayon, uh, we definitely noted that like people were doing things without us. But I think, you know, we we actually said it to them, to the different friendship groups. And they just thought like, oh, Kate doesn't drink, so she wouldn't want to come to the pub. And really, it was just a conversation saying like, you know, I'll go to the pub to, to see my friends, not just to, to drink alcohol. Um, Cause, cause so as soon the, as that conversation was had, it was it was all right. In the book, you're you're very honest about the fact that like this, this hasn't been easy and that sometimes it's been a struggle to stay on this sort of self-imposed wagon as it, as, as it were. <laughs> yeah. But some of the things you observe, like you talk about the, the way culture, our, drink, our drinking is ingrained in our culture and, and do you see it now as a problem where you mightn't have seen it before? Uh, I definitely feel like a, a veil has kind of been lifted from my eyes whereas before I wouldn't have questioned any of my drinking habits or, or anything around me. Uh, but the more I found out um, about it and kind of opened my eyes to what's going on around, then uh, yes, I, I definitely do. And as I say, I think like, you know, we all partake in these acceptable levels of drinking, but the further I moved away from that, uh, that acceptable level, I kind of questioned whether or not it should be acceptable or was it actually, you know, quite extreme. And looking back at the way you used to drink, and I'm not talking as a student now, because mm. looking back at my own student days, if you were anything like me, you know, <laughs> I remember all those days. But but looking yeah. back on what you might call your adult drinking, the drinking that you mm. used, do you look back on that now and, and see it as unacceptable? Or what do you think about your old habits? Um, I would have been, uh, well, I suppose in the recent you know, decade or so, um, would have been like more, you know, sharing a bottle of wine at home. Uh, sometimes that bottle of wine became two bottles of wine. So you'd like, you know, you'd be drinking at home um, with your partner, wine in the evening, say. Uh, but I would have had, you know, as we discussed there, like the hangovers the next day. Um, and uh, it sounds terrible now, but I would have like not planned to do things with the kids in case I had a bad hangover. Yeah. Um, so I definitely feel like it's been a really like positive move within my household and, um, you know, what my kids are seeing. And you've got more energy, you're a better role model. Um, so for me and my family, it's definitely been yeah. like a, a really positive move. I think a lot of people can relate to it, particularly the people with, with young kids who I know they're not out for dance classes or GA mm. training these particular Saturday mornings, but I know one or two friends of mine, and I've done it myself like I said, stood at the back of a dancing class waiting to die, or people <laughs> who stood on the, on the on the side of a of a gap pitch on a Saturday morning with their head in their hands going, get out of here now. <laughs> you know, you 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 a lot of people would be inspired to try. So where can they get the book? 
well, you can get the book in any uh, bookstore. Well, online on bookstores now. Um, so it's available uh, absolutely everywhere. Um, and it's called The Accidental Soberista. And um, yeah, it's a story of it, it really, it was an accident that I stumbled onto this path. And, uh, you know, I always say that we spend like maybe 60, 70 years of our life drinking. So is it worth giving it a shot for 90 days to see if your life could really improve? Because mine did. Kate, do you think you'd ever drink again? Uh, I don't. I don't miss us now. I really don't. All right. Listen, congratulations on the book and good speaking with you. It's called The Accidental Soberista. And that is Kate Gunn on the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. Just coming back to the Discord conversation from earlier on this morning. Uh, You'll hear that on the podcast if you missed it earlier on. Very distressing situation and once that person can tell us more, if they're in a position to tell us more, they will. But this came in as a follow-on. PJ, you were talking about dangers to children. Let me tell you something that's on my mind. I was visiting a certain place yesterday, sitting down with a coffee uh, with my wife, and a little girl came up to me and said, look what I can do. And then she did something like a cartwheel. And I said to her, look, you shouldn't really be talking to strangers. Why don't you go and find your mum? She stayed around, though, and she kept wanting to show me her trick. I kept telling her it was wrong to talk to strangers. So did my wife, but she just ignored this. After 20 minutes of it, as there was no parent to be seen or nobody in authority around, I felt I had to move off because I became conscious of something. I became conscious that somebody watching might be saying, why is that man constantly getting that girl to do a cartwheel. What is he seeing when she does it? It's a sad world we live in, PJ, and a dangerous one with very careless parents. He doesn't say how old this little girl was, but if she was out there on her own for 20 minutes doing cartwheels, where was the parent if she was five, six, seven, eight, nine, even 10? Interesting. Very interesting, in fact. And he raises a very Solid point. There he was trying to say, look, would you move on? Find your mammy. You shouldn't be doing this. We're strangers. So was his wife. But from a distance, someone's looking and going, would you look at that dirty old, you know? Yeah. Interesting. 1850 We have spoken many times about the air ambulance service that exists in this part of the world now, the Irish Community Air Ambulance, ICAA, and of course, our, our good friend Michal Sheridan, formerly of the Mercy Hospital Foundation, is heading up that charity now and is getting huge awareness for them in, in all the media, which is what Michal Sheridan does and does quite brilliantly. But I'm reading from the Echo here, from page of the Echo, a Cork woman has said she might not have survived a serious car crash last year had it not been for the ambulance. Sarah O'Dwyer has the story on the front page and Emma McGuire joins me. Hi Emma. Hi, how are you? I know you don't want to talk too much about the crash but it happened between Killarney and Tralee. You don't have much memory of it anyway. Yeah, no, not much memory. Well, no memory at all. Yeah, yeah. But the air ambulance played a huge role. Tell me about that. Yeah, significant really and I suppose coming up to the year this year for me, what was really important was to kind of focus on them in particular and kind of, I suppose, amplify what they did and how important it role or how important it was for me and for, 
for my life and I suppose for my family as well and people that I'm close to and it really meant a lot so um, to give back to them was really like what was most important to, to me and I yeah I feel like you know it's kind of strange for me to say that you know that my life was possibly reliant on them being there when they were and what they did and how well they did it you know now obviously you so, found out afterwards what they were doing because you've no memory but what yeah. did they do um well that's the thing so when i was um i did a fundraiser through march and when i was deciding to do that i spoke to the paramedic that kind of dealt with me that day and you know he didn't go into too much detail but um I suppose I was like cut out of the car and <laughs> that's why I w- I'm really looking forward to meeting them and hearing more as to what actually went on at that time and like what was you know going through their heads because I can't imagine that well I can I can imagine the amount of pressure that you know someone in their position is under to um you know save a person's life and it definitely takes a special type of person yeah. You know, and a very calm and diligent <laughs> type mm. of work that they do, you know. Because if the air ambulance hadn't been there to get you to the medical treatment you needed, you possibly would not have survived. 20 years ago, you certainly wouldn't have survived. Yeah, and I think that too. And I suppose, like, now and <laughs> with the kind of technology that we have, like that message that um, the incident had happened was just, you know, notified to them instantly and they were there in minutes really um, but you know however many years ago you know that message might have been longer and at that time I was bleeding internally so you know it, at that point it was really the difference um, of them being there that fast mm-hmm. You, um, you, you haven't met surviving. the crew that was in the, in, in the chopper that day but you want to Yeah no I spoke um, uh, to uh, Paul Trainer, who um who was in the helicopter with me, but not the rest of them. Um, and he was the man who uh, kind of was, I suppose, in charge of me at that time. Um, and he dealt with me um, very well, I guess. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing them and for them to see me, I guess, because, you know, that's the reason they do their job and, you know, their job paid off <laughs> yeah yeah and we, we talk constantly about the, the need for funding for, for groups like this and that's why you aforementioned Michal Sheridan is hitting them up now to drive the funding and drive the awareness I mean yeah. she, she, obviously I, I'd say you'll, you'll do everything in your power to, to, to raise funds for them from here on in will you yeah like it's something that I'd like to do every year um, around the anniversary of it um, and I was just overwhelmed by the response that I got I mean I I <laughs> I didn't. I could could have never imagined raising the amount that I did in one month, and it just goes to show that. How much know, did you manage to raise? Um, for just over fourteen thousand. Well done, you. Well yeah, done, and that so, was the marching through March, wasn't it? Yeah, and I did it on a cross, you know, <laughs> and it was a way for me to kind of push myself too and say, you know, like a lot happened, but. Yeah. How, how are you now? I mean, you. you all sorts of bones broken and all that yeah. and lost your, you did have your spleen removed and all that but how are you now? Yeah, um, I'm doing well like it's very slow progress but it's progress all the same and I think from the beginning they said you know it's a long recovery that's ahead of me and I guess I realise that now 
Um, and I have ups and downs and good days and bad days. But, you know, overall, I'm just so grateful and lucky, really, to be here and to be speaking <laughs> to you about, you know, all of that. Well, this is the importance of having something like an air ambulance that I can yeah. speak with you when maybe exactly. if it wasn't there we wouldn't be able to do that Emma thank you very much and continued good health to you continued good recovery that's Emma Maguire March 12 months was in a serious crash between Killarney and Tralee had to be cut out of the car doesn't remember a whole lot only what she was told about it afterwards but she was fighting for her life and she believes that if the air ambulance the ICC AA ambulance hadn't been there she wouldn't be here if that's not an endorsement of what they do then I don't know what is eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six on ventilation and COVID. I was in a shopping centre this morning. The windows were only open about four inches. I know for a fact they can open at least a foot. In my own humble opinion, ventilation is key to infection prevention. I've always said this. Now Neffet are highlighting it. I've drawn the attention of the manager to this in the past. I really hoped it would start to be taken seriously after Neffet. I talked about aerosol transmission. I noticed something myself. Thanks, caller. Noticed something myself the other morning coming in on the bus. Was it Tuesday morning? Monday morning was really warm, or really cold rather, and bright. And as I was coming coming in on the bus, I like to go down the back. I think it's something from my school days. I like to go right down the back of the bus. Always do. Wife hates it, but I love to go down the back of the bus. So there it was, the back of the bus coming in. And I know, like, it's really cold at the bus stop. It's nearly, nearly as cold inside in the flipping bus because the wind is open. And they've put up signs. Command on Finyog Aruskult. Please keep the window open. And I thought that, like, while it's uncomfortable, that is a very good idea. Ventilation is the key. This thing can't do damage in a well-ventilated space, or at least can do less damage in a well-ventilated space. Exciting times for an 18-year-old Cork woman, Lauren Abeluno, uh, heading off to the United States, Abelano, heading off to the United States to play football and uh, Lauren, it mightn't even have happened for you because you injured yourself badly just before you were 17. Good morning to you. Hi, good morning to you too. Congratulations, first of all. Where are you off to? I'm going to Louisiana. Okay, and you'll be doing a college scholarship. So you'll be studying in the college and playing soccer at the same time, is that it? Yeah, that's exactly it. Okay, so how did all this come about? Um... So I wanted to go, like I've seen loads of the girls on my team heading before. And I thought to myself, yeah, that's something I want to do. I want to get out there and explore while also playing the sport I love. Mm. And so I graduated back in 2020, you know, during the pandemic. Um, but since my injury, I had to delay it a year. So what I've done is I went to CIT, now MTU, for a year. And I'll transfer over then to Louisiana. Okay, and what are you studying? Um, right now I'm study, studying uh, sports and exercise management. Okay, which is a good tie-in, of course, with football. Talk to me about the injury. I mean, you would you break your cruciate or something or tear your cruciate? Yeah, um, I tore my ACL. It was a grade three tear. What does that... Obviously, that's very painful, but what else does it mean? You can't... You, how did it happen? So, um, we were at an away game uh, versus Limerick at the time, 
and I jumped to stop the defender from clearing the ball. And I suppose it was just the wrong place, wrong time kind of a thing. I landed just on my left leg mm. and the ball then was smashed into my upper thigh and my knee just bent in. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad one. Is there pain straight away or what? Yeah, it was instantly like... Um, before that, I never really had an injury. Like, the most damage I've done was pull my calf. And even at that, like, the pain was kind of delayed. But this one, it was just instant and it was sharp. And, you know, I was kind of bending my knee to get some relief, but yeah. I just couldn't find any. Did you think this is one I can walk off or jog off and then you realise, oh, I'm in serious trouble here? No, like, I went straight down to the floor and I just knew that something terrible was up. Yeah. And would you be very fearful then, Lauren, that this is the end of your football? Um, no, because just the previous month before I was away with the um, Irish team and one of the girls also done hers during the game. And like I knew that she was able to come back and then in my head at the time I was like, oh, I, I don't want that to happen to me and then it does. So I kind of knew a bit about it. Mm. Um, so at the time I, I knew I was going to come back and I know I was going to push forward for it. Yeah, great, great courage and all that. You, you, you've been, you're a member of the Cork City women's team, you are? Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. they've been good to you, helping you to rehab and helping you to get back to, to full fitness. So when are you off to the States? Um, I plan on going over in July because right. pre-season starts in August then. Okay, okay. You probably have to do quarantine and all that old nonsense mm-hmm. when you get there, but but you're ready to go. It'll be the first time away from family, will it? Uh, yeah, for that um, period of time. Wouldn't you travel on your own or anybody go with you just to help you settle in? No, I'll travel on my own first and then my parents and family will come over then um, a couple of weeks later once I'm settled in. Right. How excited are you? I'm so excited. Like, I can't wait for it to happen. Mm. And, like, will you be playing over there as well as... Will you be playing for a college team? Is that how it works? Yeah, so I'll be a student at least, so I'll be playing with the Louisiana Tech University as well as studying for my degree over there. Fantastic. And how how do they do? Are they are they successful? Yeah, they are. I was um, keeping up with them, you know, they win some and they lose some, so I hope I can contribute to the team and get more wins for them. Right, well, you're full, you're full of ambition. Do you know what would be lovely to do is maybe coming towards the end of the year, maybe coming towards Christmas, we might we might catch up and see how you are doing over there. Yeah, definitely. I, I would love that. How, how long is the scholarship for, by the way? Um, It'll go on for three years because i already done one year here. Right. Oh, great. So you're going to be out there for three years. Well, we will definitely catch up once you're settled out there. And we look forward to seeing videos of you playing and stuff like that. Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much. All right, Lauren. Good luck with it and congratulations. That is Lauren Ebolano from Cove headed off to the university in the States to Louisiana Tech University to study sports science and play professional football. How exciting is that? Speaking of professional football, better do it now while I have a chance. You can join Trevor again on 96fm.ie this Saturday for all the excitement of the Premier League which is powered of course by Talk Sport exclusive live coverage of Newcastle v West Ham that's at half 12 and Wolves against Sheffield United which is at quarter past 8 
It's the Premier League Live Online with Now. Stream live Premier League action with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. And listen in Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or indeed go to 96fm.ie. And if I haven't mentioned our podcast this hour, I should mention to you again, of course, that once we put the podcast of the show up in the afternoon, it does land on the Cork's 96FM app. 1850-715-996. Here's one that's come out of left field entirely. I, I, I'm not too sure where this comes from, but John was saying... Is this, oh, this is the case, I think, is it where a, a police officer says they pulled a gun instead of a taser and now somebody is dead or seriously injured? Is that it? Yeah, oh, in all the case, yeah, yeah, the, off the top of my head. When a stupid person can't tell the difference between a gun and a taser, it's a reminder to those constantly calling for the guards to be armed that there are consequences for armed police. I hope the cheerleaders take note. Well, John, most of the guards that I know, and I don't know as many now as I used to know one time, but most of the guards that I know are extremely proud of the fact that they are, for the most part, an unarmed force. I've, of course, got armed detectives and the armed response units, etc., etc., but the average cop on the street is unarmed, and the last time I would have talked to any number of them, they'd like to stay that way. They're very proud of that. But I do take your point. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, Dante Wright, thank you. When I'm here in the morning surrounded by a sea of paper and all the stuff that we're doing, I do forget all the stuff that we haven't planned to discuss. And Dante Wright was that lad who died uh, because someone, some cop pulled a gun instead of a taser. Which strikes me as strange because if you look at the way their belts are made up, the gun and the taser are usually on opposite sides. They're supposed to be. Aren't they? I remember seeing that during the week and thinking you pulled the gun instead of the taser by accident. Because they're not meant to be on the same side of the belt for that precise reason. However, we'll see where it goes. 1850-715-996. Now, we've been talking about where you can go on your outside your 5K and coffee shops and, and takeaways and all of that. So you might want to travel over the weekend and if you do please travel safely and please follow all the various protocols because we're not out of this yet we're nearly there but we're not there but if you want to sit in and watch telly we've taken to uh, you know recommending things for you to watch over the last couple of months and here is another one in your true crime locker she looks like the main protagonist in this Orla Condon from Extra.ie morning Orla Hi, PJ. How are you? Good. This is another one of those true crimes. It's getting mixed reviews. Yeah, it is. It's. It's. Uh, I think Netflix have been pushing them out a lot this year. We obviously had a, a bit of a drought last year with this kind of content. We've gotten a lot of it in the early part of 2021. It is getting a bit of mixed reviews. Um, 
there's an interesting court to the story. Obviously, it's based on the tragic case uh, of Crystal Theobald, who, in a in a case of mistaken identity, uh, was shot when she her car was ambushed by a, a gang in Riverside, in California. She was just 24 at the time. It was in 2006. Mm. Um, and there's a really interesting kind of thread of, of a narrative from her mother, Belinda, who you heard there in the clip, who decided uh, she had heard that members of this gang were active on MySpace at the time. Mm. And she had decided to enlist her niece, Jamie, to help create online profiles to, yeah. to learn about these gang members and get information, which is an incredibly interesting narrative. We've not seen that in any of these documentaries before. For younger listeners, Orla, who are wondering MySpace, because very few people actually use MySpace anymore. What was it? It was a bit, yeah, kind of a precursor it? to things like Twitter, wasn't it? Yeah, it was kind of around the time I suppose Bebo would have been big in Ireland. It never really took off in Ireland. It was never one of the main platforms here, uh, but it would have been huge in the in the US and it would have been massive for music fans and things like that. A lot of bands that you might know very well now would have gotten a start on MySpace because yeah. they would have shared content there. But yeah, it would have been around the time of kind of Bebo, like early 2000s, that kind of time. Um, so Crystal would have had a, a MySpace profile and her mother then learned of these members of the gang being on there and decided to kind of do what we know now as catfishing uh, to kind of suss out these gang members and, and gain information about them, which she did. I mean, she learned about uh, the cars they drove, where they lived. She even drove past their houses to get pictures of these vehicles to, to give to police to help with investigations. Uh, and ultimately, that kind of catfishing and, and probing around these gang members resulted in numbers of, of arrests of, of members of these gangs and, and the man who shot mm. her daughter in 2006. She set up a fake profile and it, it looked like she kind of seduced them almost. Yeah, she she wanted the, the kind of suspects in her mind to fall in love with this character that she created because she felt it would create a, an environment where they felt safe to share information about their lives that would potentially help uh, the police find Crystal's killer. So uh, you heard there in the clip, you know, at the start of the clip, it's it's not easy to make someone fall in love with someone who is dead. That is that is uh, Crystal's cousin, Jamie, who would have been active on MySpace at the time, understood the platform, uh, and she actually operated these fake profiles, messaging uh, these men and these gangs uh, to get information, um, which, like I said, ultimately resulted in, in arrest. They found people who were driving the cars that were were in the footage of of the night of the killing and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's just an incredibly interesting idea that these this family just took it upon themselves to mm. to root around online and got really crucial information that led to eventually Crystal's killer being brought to justice. Now it's not one of those never ending things that Netflix does. Even though they've improved, they're now happy to do four or five episodes instead of fourteen or fifteen. This is just an hour and a half. Yeah, this is just a film that's so it's nice and short. I, I agree with you. I think some stories, uh, things like Making a Murderer that have gone on for a couple of seasons, there's more there and things, but that has also faced its criticism for kind of being drawn out. And I think, I think Netflix have kind of caught on to that, that not every story needs to be uh, dragged out into kind of an eight or 12 episode season. They have shortened mm-hmm. them down. We're seeing a lot of four episode uh, true crime series, but this is just the film. So it's just, it's just over the hour and a half mark. Um, which is enough, I think it's, it's enough of a story. The story spans kind of a couple of years with a bit of a flash forward to kind of eight or nine years in the future and obviously the narration is, is current day. 
Um, but it is it is enough for the story that's being told. I think sometimes places have a tendency to keep people on the platform for longer, so mm. they tend to kind of give just episode after episode of kind of unnecessary information. But this is just the hour and a half. I mentioned the, the, the mixed reviews, and we know from previous conversations, Orla, you love your true crime. I, I prefer, prefer my crime fictional. You love your true crime. How does this rate in your view? Yeah, I do. I do enjoy true crime. I think Netflix have veered a little bit into a weird space of kind of, you know, monetizing that content now. It feeds, I've, they were kind of making a murder era felt like this is just a really interesting story and let's, let's tell it. Whereas now I feel like they've released quite a few over the last kind of year or two years where it's kind of been drawn out and I feel like they're just, kind of dragging a story just to keep me on the platform this has been this is a really interesting story i find uh belinda's narrative in this uh, documentary really interesting just her absolute determination to find her daughter's killer and how she went about it and how she managed to get information and and I, I, the, her daughter's killer was actually arrested 10 years nearly 10 years after her death when Belinda received a tip on Facebook that he was in Mexico. So this woman was, you know, absolutely vital to this case being closed. So it's very interesting. There are parts of it, I think, uh, that are kind of added padding that we don't really need. But I do think it's an interesting story. And an hour and a half is a nice, easy sit down um, to get through if you're not kind of committing a huge amount of your time. So anyone who enjoys true crime, this is a good one to, to watch. It's trending number three in Ireland, so it's already proving popular with Irish okay. viewers. It's only, only landed this week. Right. Um, so if you want to be involved in the chat with your friends about what they're watching, you probably want to catch this one. Okay, one to watch for the weekend. Thank you very much. Orla, Orla Condon uh, from Extra.ie on Why Did You Kill Me? Which is a great name for a show. Can I recommend because the, myself and the Queen Bee are going through these one by one and remembering just how good they were and just how bloody brilliant David Jason was. Uh, they're all on the Virgin Media Player. I've mentioned it before. There's about 15 or 20 episodes of A Touch of Frost over a number of different seasons of it. Uh, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 14. Lumber seasons of it. It's each episode about an hour and a half with the ads about two hours. And you really will love them. Uh, David Jason uh, in those shows, just wonderful. And old style coppery from the UK. There's a great line in one episode. I won't give you the plot away, but it's accidental death. He's been beaten, eaten and shot. It's full of stuff like that. So you will love it on the Virgin Media Player. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.